podcast for tennis players, coaches, and fans. I'm your host, Jenny Robb. Today on the line, we have Margot Carter, owner of Spherical Yellow, based in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Margot, thanks so much for being on the line today. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. Yeah, <laughs> and so tell us, um, where are you from originally? I grew up in the south of England, uh, near Winchester. Okay, excellent. And so how did you uh, make your journey from, from there to, to where you are now in Nashville? <laughs> Um, well, uh, like any good junior player, I, uh, growing up in England, I was determined to win Wimbledon. Yep. <laughs> um, and so that led me on a fairly fun pathway through the junior tennis scene in England. And, um, when I was about 16, 17, I read an article in a little tennis magazine, uh, that said there were these scholarship opportunities to the USA. Okay. Uh, I thought that sounded rather fun. So I went home to my mother and said, look, look. <laughs> opportunities, and I think my parents thought that that was going to be quite a nice stepping stone instead of me just sort of leaping out into the world of professional tennis. Uh -huh. um, so I got offered a full scholarship to play at Tennessee Tech oh, in cool. 2003, and um, I guess Tennessee's been quite fun, and I sort of kept coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. You know, I briefly lived in Nashville when I uh, worked at Belmead Country Club and absolutely loved my time there and I was very sad to leave. Um, but uh, my husband's job took us elsewhere, but I, I sure did love Nashville. So <laughs> Tennessee's a great place to be. <laughs> yeah, I'm having a lot of fun here. <laughs> so so um, did you play other sports growing up? I played everything that was available to me. <laughs> great. So. That means, uh, of course, being English, that means a lot of things that you Americans haven't heard of, like <laughs> netball and rounders and lacrosse and field hockey and swimming and nice. diving and horse riding and skiing. And I'm sure I've forgotten something. <laughs> I dabbled in cricket for a while. Um, and then when I was about 14... I, I sort of had to start making choices because I really, really wanted to win in tennis and mm -hmm. all the other sports were taking up time as well. So I slowly but surely started focusing more and more on tennis when I was 14 and 15. But up until that point, I did everything I could. Wow. So do you think that, um, you know, that there's this, you know, the big debate that goes on about uh, early specialization or, uh, you know, playing other sports. I mean, I, I've, I've, like you, I've played everything under the sun. I played volleyball, played softball, you know, soccer, you know, gymnastics, you know, everything in the world available to me, as you said. Um, but I think that that made me a better tennis player. I mean, because I think that the, all the sports, you know, just whether it's mental, emotional side or just athletic skills uh, help. But what's your feeling on, on early specialization? Um, I think that... Uh... I think that there is definitely something to be said for both stories. Um, mm -hmm. I may, maybe I could have done with some better coaching when I was eight, nine, 10, 11. And, mm -hmm. and that would have left me at the age of 14 with certain things a bit more refined and a bit more polished, ready to go mm -hmm. as a junior player. But I also believe that all the other sports I did helped me enormously along the way mm -hmm. and without those I wouldn't be the athlete that I am today so um 
maybe early specialization isn't in my opinion wouldn't be necessarily the key but I do believe in good foundation and taking the time to make sure that the coaching and the technique that you learn from young age is correct yes um but I think that you know you're going to take a young athlete and you're going to make them go to the gym and play tennis four hours a day um, but a lot of the skills you work on that you isolate will get covered in other sports and as well. Uh, so, you know, most of the kids that I teach tennis to now today, the, the ones that play all the sports, are the ones that pick it up the quickest and progress further. So, oh, definitely. I'm definitely going to recommend doing all the sports. Yeah, I agree. I, I also think that that contributes to um, a lower rate of the overuse injuries. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, so do you have a favorite memory from your playing days? Ooh, well, <laughs> I mean, I played quite a long time. Did we pick a decade or? <laughs> just any, any memory that, that jumps out is, is just a happy, happy time. <laughs> happy memory. <laughs> happy time. <laughs> well, um, I'd, I'd have to say there are probably three eras that I pick. Uh -huh. um, the summer when I was 16 and I won practically every junior tournament I entered. That was a good That's summer. <laughs> um, the summer when I was, the spring, my junior year in college when I had a 16 match winning streak and made number five in the Hall of Fame for all-time season victories was a pretty good year. That is awesome. And uh, all OVC and all that jazz. I yeah. remember, it was just a really good year. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then, and then the spring when I made it to 451 in the world was pretty fantastic and, you know, on paper <laughs> would be the, the highlight of my tennis career uh, on paper. But those three times were both just positive like mentally I was just feeling really good about my game yeah and having a really good time with it so so my next question kind of builds off of these things but it, it um encompasses more than just playing it, it gets into your coaching um do you have a proudest achievement thus far a proudest achievement thus far <laughs> Ooh, that's a difficult question it is it is I don't know <laughs> Um, well, you know, I'm going to say this is kind of not really tennis related, but it is. I think aside from what I achieved as a player, I mean, if you move away from that, because obviously the world ranking was pretty special. Yes. Um, if you move away from that, um, I think actually launching my own business and going out on my own. Yeah. Um, because it's so easy to just think, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm going to be a tennis coach and I'm going to work at a club and I'm just going to teach tennis. Um, and, and life will be kind of cushy, mm -hmm. but to go out there on your own and start a business and be in charge of everything from your own marketing, finding your own clients to your own accounting to the works and your everything. Yeah. When, 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 yeah. At the time when I started my business, I had no business experience because <laughs> I did my degree in environmental biology. Um, <laughs> That so that was scary and that was tough. <laughs> I'm proud of myself for for doing that despite it being scary and making it happen. That is awesome. Um, now, did you have uh, rituals when you were a player? <laughs> rituals when I was a player. Um, 
Yes, I had one mantra <laughs> over and over and over again. I had a very, very good coach when I was 17 who told me, he taught me two things that I still to this day use. He taught me uh, to never hit another winner. Ah. Mentally, mentally just hit another good shot, another good shot, oh, another right. good shot. And then be really nicely surprised when you've won the point. Um, so Tim Robson, if you're out there, thank you very much for that nugget of information yeah. that changed my tennis world. Yeah. Um, and so that would be a, a thought that I had a lot. Mm -hmm. And then something else that the same man, Tim Robson, also taught me was to, when you're in trouble, just to go back to the basics and focus on the absolute basic fundamentals yep. and just have, have a mantra in your head. Mm -hmm. And so, and it became so valuable to me that I almost never, never got too complicated. I realized that focusing on the simple things is what helped me to win. And so every time I would be standing there to return serve, I just had this mantra in my head and it was, Move your feet, watch the ball. Move your feet, watch the ball. Move your feet, watch the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, keeping it simple. I mean, I remember, um, uh, it's been a few years ago, I believe, but we, we got to see um, some of the notes that Andy Murray was reading on, on a changeover, you know, and it was, one of them was like, move your feet, be positive. You know, <laughs> it wasn't. You know, right. <laughs> it was, it was simple stuff. I mean, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Is there something you do in every practice that you lead? In every practice that I what, sorry? That you lead, sorry. Yeah. Oh, that I lead. Um, gosh. Um, I absolutely always start with short court warm-up. Nice, yeah. Always. And I, I stayed there for quite a long time. And I like to work really hard on footwork and contact point and full swings and controlling the ball, mm -hmm. but with a lot of a lot of spin. Like you can have a really high energy short court warm up, and I love it. It's a, like a really good moment for me to kick off your practice on a good note because there's not a lot of pressure, but at the same time you can work really hard to make every ball absolutely perfect. It's almost, I had someone say to me just the other day, it's almost mesmerizing. You just get there and you find your groove. Right, right. I think it sets the tone for a practice really well. I love it. No, I, I totally agree. When, when I played volleyball, we would do this warm-up, uh, you know, just a partner warm-up to two people. And, you know, you'd do the little miniature bump set spike back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was, it was absolutely, like, my favorite thing. And I would, I would do it. I could do it for hours. I had a friend that, you know, we'd go to the beach or go on vacation or after school and we'd sit there, you know, and just and do this little, just, we called it pepper. You know, we'd just do pepper over and over and over and over and over. But it's the same thing you're doing. You're going through the motions in a small controlled space. And uh, I just think it's fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Trying to make it perfect. It's yeah. Fun. Yeah. You know, um, so the next question is, is a difficult one too. <laughs> It's a, it's kind of a two part question. Um, okay. One is, um, you know, we we are in the southern section. It's the biggest section in the country. Uh, we have a lot of great players. Um, but you know, what can we do to grow tennis? And then the second part to the question is, uh, what can we do to become more competitive um, and nationally? <laughs> 
<laughs> what can we do to grow tennis? Yep. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that, that that's going to be a question for each each city is going to be a little bit different. Yes. Um, because the dynamic in each city is a little bit different. Um, I, what I'm seeing in Nashville is that there is a whole group of people that want to be playing tennis and aren't. Mm-hmm. And those are the sort of, they've finished college and they're not, they haven't joined a country, a country club or a tennis club yet because that sort of happens when you get a bit older. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're 25, 26, 27, and they're going, well, why, I want to play tennis. Where can I go? Right. Now, I think here in Nashville, those people need to be given a home. Um, and they're looking for some fun tennis and some fun competitive tennis, and they're not necessarily finding it. I agree with you. I think that you've really hit on a, a really important point because there is, there's so much for kids, you know, and then you have your adult league, which technically they could play adult league, but maybe that's intimidating because, oh, you, you have to join somewhere. You're going to start taking lessons in clinics. You got to buy some clothes. You got to buy a rack. You got to buy a bag. Now you're going to have to, maybe you work. And so maybe there's not a night league or, you know, so, so I think you're right that that, that sort of, group before they're really playing adult league tennis you know what what is there for that that group yeah so i would say growing in this area growing the sport would involve getting that demographic out on the tennis court more which is something i'm trying to do at my club Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a lot of fun as well because those people uh, they can they can really play so we're, we're having some good times with that at my club here in nashville you know, we're, we're trying some different things. Um, here in Birmingham, we have that, that exact same, I don't want to call it an issue, but the, the same situation maybe is a better word. And uh, we, we did a, a little league that we called uh, Tennis on Tap. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and we actually played um, red ball tennis, and it was just for adults that had never played before and weren't really ready to oh, fun. make the whole commitment. And we played red ball, and then we'd go to a local... Uh, like brewery or, or something afterwards and it was actually we had a blast and people were like oh let's do this again you know and it wasn't necessarily like you want to commit to playing league tennis maybe you just want to come out on a Sunday afternoon have a hit and go have a beer you know <laughs> hey I found that when there's beer afterwards there are always more people in tennis before <laughs> yes <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so to part two how do, how do we how do we help our, our players, uh, whether they're adults or juniors, be more competitive, you know, within the section and, and nationally? Oh, uh, adults and juniors. Hmm. Well, I mean, you've got you've got to start with with hooking a larger base of people on the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's always going to be in a pyramid. There are going to be. Of, of each of 10 people that sign up for hit and giggle tennis, there might be two that want to compete on Correct. a, on a yep. bigger level. So the bigger you get that base, the more people will be looking for the next phase of competition yes. and the league or the tournament. But I've got quite a few men that work that I hit with that would love to have more tournaments to play in. And they don't actually want to play on a league. That's too much. They don't want to play every Wednesday night. But they want to sign up for a tournament maybe once a month or once every six weeks. And they're having to go out to 
Chattanooga or Murfreesboro. And I'm thinking there should be, this should be an option for them at least once a month here in Nashville. Yeah. Um, so I think that maybe providing some t- more tournaments like that would be quite fun. I mean, I know that the the French have a very nice system with their tournaments. It's very different than over here, the series tournaments, where actually every single level of player can enter. Um, and the draw is like over three or four weeks. And you kind of feed in depending on what your rating is. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. So if you're someone that's starting out at the bottom of the tree, but you can win, you win every match by the end of the tournament, your new rating will reflect your level and you may make it through three weeks. However, if you're Joe Bloggs, who's just begun, you're just a beginner. You might also play at the very, um, the first week and you might only play two or three matches and then be done. That tournament will be ongoing throughout a long period of time and it's quite a fun way of getting people to just because then you don't have a mad amount of matches Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday either you just sort of schedule a match when it suits you so you'll get people calling in and saying hey well I work till 7 so can we actually have our match at 8 o'clock on Wednesday mm-hmm. um, and I think maybe some of those would be quite fun to have yeah that sounds great I don't know, but I guess that's uh, yeah <laughs> no, I, I like- who's going to organise those yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, how how would you say that your coaching style has evolved? Ooh, that's a fun question. Yeah. <laughs> it has evolved. It has evolved. And um, it's been fun observing myself. Um, mm-hmm. I, I sort of try to keep notes on, on, on how things change. And I try to go to as many of the education opportunities I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and pick up and each time I go, I'll pick up something a little bit different from someone and I'll think, Oh, that slides really well with my ethos. I'm going to, I'm going to slide that into my, my coaching ethos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always been a big believer in, uh, coaching in a positive way because I was on the receiving end of both negative and positive coaching. And, um, while, certain negatives have their place I'm not saying everyone has to be smiley happy everything's great um but I I think that just negativity on its own doesn't work or definitely doesn't work for me so I'm going to be that person that looks for the positive and I've always been that way um but I think over time you just become better and better at seeing what's going on in someone's game and seeing how to help them and it's been quite fun uh watching that evolve for sure um and a lot of times things things just come up out of the workshops we go to where the coaches chit chat with each other and say well oh so and so's got this problem how do you fix it and then each time you go you just come away with a new nugget of info on how how you're you're going to be a better problem solver right right um what qualities make a great coach the <laughs> The ability to know when to say something and the ability to know when not to say something. Oh, I think it's pretty huge. Oh, huge, huge. Yeah, we all good. just yes. talk too much sometimes, and sometimes totally you've just got to stop and let the person figure it out for themselves. I totally agree. Yep. Yep. I think it's, I don't know if it's the inner game of tennis or. Uh, it's one of those. It's one of those books that talks that talks about just that about sort of 
you know, not over coaching, not, you know, sometimes being quiet is, is a, a tremendous, you know, a, a skill. <laughs> and that, and I would say combined with the ability to give people the solution to their problem and not tell them what their problem is. Right. Right. So this kind of leads us into what you're going to be talking about. Um, you know, the USPTA, uh, uh, here, the workshop here in Alabama, and we are fortunate to have you coming to to speak and present. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and your topic is going to be on effective communication. That's correct. And so you you were just talking about solutions, and and I think that's one of your main points. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I I just I just feel like focusing on the problem doesn't very often doesn't help. It doesn't help the player and it doesn't solve the problem. Right. Um, it's, it's too easy for coaches to be like, oh, you know, you didn't finish the swing. You've got to finish the swing. But actually, very often you've got to go, well, why didn't you finish the swing? Yeah. Oh, well, because I was jammed up and I couldn't. Okay, why were you jammed up? Um, because I didn't prepare and I didn't move my feet. Okay, so what's the solution? This is going to be prepare earlier, move your feet and get into position. So if you keep telling someone to finish the swing, but they can't because they haven't got their feet in position, then they, they're never going to actually get any better. And you're just going to both be banging your head against the wall. <laughs> correct. correct. It, this is something else I came across. And again, I can't, I can't remember which, which. Oh, no, I think it was actually Ann Pankhurst. Do you know Ann? Yeah, well, I know of her. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you do. Um, but she, uh, one of the things that she uh, taught when I went through the MOT course, um, and it, it kind of, you know, one of those like blow your mind moments. And uh, but she, she spoke to exactly what you're you're talking about right now. And she would say, instead of like on uh, on a shot saying, oh, you know, you're you're you know, you're not rotating your hips, you're not rotating your hips. You know, that's yeah. in the person's mind. I'm not rotating my hips. I know. Instead, you know, you coach from what you want them to do, you know, say, all right, you know, let's, let's, let's rotate through or bring, bring that hip around instead of telling them the negative part. Absolutely. The solution, you know, talk, talk yep. the solution because otherwise the problem will be stuck in their head instead of the solution. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then this is where it gets interesting too. And I think a lot of coaches, maybe, especially the ones who maybe haven't competed on a higher level. And I mean, that's getting into a whole nother topic, but I just think that element of competition definitely changes things. Yes. The, if you are like in any way likely to get like the gyps a little bit, get a little bit in your head when you think, Oh my gosh, I mustn't hit it in the net or don't hit it out. Like your head is thinking about the problem. It's not thinking about the solution. So you're actually, you, your mind you, it's going to become reality because what you think about more, more and more becomes reality, right? So if the moment you're thinking, ooh, don't hit it out, you're visualizing a ball going out. You're not yeah. visualizing a ball going in or whatever the problem is. Yeah. So it's, it's really simple. And I always teach people to think in, in solutions and not problems. So that too is, is absolutely huge. And, and you visualize it and then it's going to become reality. Yeah, I mean, if you step up to the line, you say, you know, don't double fault. I <laughs> know. Oh, it's going to happen, isn't it? It's incredible. <laughs> don't double fault. Don't double fault. <laughs> no. but, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach people, you know, even if you're having a bad serving day, just think over and in, over and in. 
And then, and then, so, so that leads us to um, uh, use of language and analogies. You and I are both big fans of analogies. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. And I, I think the the stranger the analogy, the more interesting it is, and the more people are likely to remember it. Well, yeah, um, yeah, yes, yeah. Because then, but it's you have it. You have a, a point of reference, you know. Yeah. So it always like I have a lot of strange ones, and I won't get into all of them, no. but. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a little tricky. You've got someone and you think, gosh, how am I going to relate what I'm saying to this person? And, you know, having been in country club tennis, I teach a lot of ladies who are very keen on putting on a fantastic Thanksgiving dinner and mm -hmm. having a really well turned out house for this event. Mm -hmm. And And so I'll say to them, you know, okay, you knew it was going to be a forehand very soon after the ball came off my strings and yet you're, you stayed in the ready position <laughs> until the ball bounced and they're looking at me sort of like yeah and and I'm thinking okay so Thanksgiving's coming up it's not right now but let's just pretend it is and, and uh it's actually um the week before Thanksgiving um have you bought your turkey yet they're like yeah, of course I've bought my turkey. And I'm yeah. like, okay. Um, and so Thanksgiving is tomorrow now. Um, when do you put the turkey in the oven? And when do you start setting the table? And they're like, uh, well, actually, I've probably done that the day before. Right, right. And the turkey takes, I don't know how many hours to cook. You know, do you put it in the oven and, and defrost it? Or, or do you wait until the guests arrive? <laughs> then that's when their faces are like, oh, wait, I, I think I know where she's going with this. <laughs> Connect the dots. Yeah. And I'm like, so the guests have arrived and you're still in the ready position and you haven't gone to bed. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Something just fell off a shelf. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay but yeah so and the people are going and then the ladies are going oh okay so you're saying that that, that setting the racket for the forehand is something I do a little bit earlier and I'm like I think I think I've got three to you now <laughs> we've got a winner yeah <laughs> so, so one of my many many strange analogies I think it's great though I mean because again anything that you can use to get through to somebody I mean you know you can't say the same thing to, to everyone. I mean, people are, are different, you know, so people learn differently and, you know, it, it, this is another Ann Pankhurst. Um, uh, it, it's, you know, I, she was the first one that kind of talked about different ways of learning to, to me from, I know she's not the first person to ever talk about, you know, adaptive learning, but, but uh, guided discovery, you know, I know oh, yes. you know, kind of guided discovery, kind of taking them along with you instead of just telling someone what to think, but kind of teaching them, how to think for themselves. Um, I think your third point, you, you like to ask questions, and I love that. Um, yes. Um, no, I'm a big believer in leading people to the answer um, yeah. rather than just telling it to them. Yeah. Uh, you, you can empower them to realize that they can actually figure out the solutions to their own problems, mm -hmm. um, which is one really nice part of it. But the, the other part that's so nice is that um, they're more likely to remember what it is you're saying if you've guided them through it rather than just told them it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that part of the, that part of the education is huge. Not just, you know, you're not programming a robot, you know, you're, you're teaching a human being how to, how to think and make decisions, you know? So 
Yeah, it's huge. I mean, especially because, you know, this is one of the ways that tennis is unique. I mean, in other sports, you know, coaches can call a timeout and go coach their athlete. And, you know, we can't. You know, if you go watch a kid, they're just out there on their own. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so they better they better know how to how to think and make decisions. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's tough, for sure. So you're also speaking um next month um in New York at the WTCA um conference and that's going to be awesome. Uh tell us a little bit about what what you're doing up there. Oh, uh, well, I'm really thankful to Sarah Stone for giving me this opportunity. I'm taking one of the five minute slots so um i have a very short amount of time to uh get my points across but um i'm going to tell a little story of i mean as uh the sarah's event is the you know all around the concept of coaching women empowering women uh, helping to get more women into roles of leadership and uh so i have a little story that i think um, the people that are out there will very much appreciate hearing. And, um, you know, I've been in Nashville for a while, so uh, <laughs> the story itself occurred in Nashville, and, and I looked to Dolly Parton for some inspiration. And uh, Dolly Parton has a very nice quote that is, if your actions create a legacy that inspires others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, then you are an excellent leader. And so with a little bit of inspiration from Dolly Parton and my own story that I will be telling, um, I'm going to have two points out there that are aimed at young women who sometimes need a little reminder to be a bit more assertive in this world and one out there to the leaders of the tennis coaching world as a reminder that you just you never really know who among your assistant coaching staff or among your top juniors actually has another younger role model beneath them um and so everyone really deserves the respect of their position i'm not going to tell you the story you're going to have to come (laughs) and listen to me in new york fantastic fantastic my goodness I think we can leave it right there (laughs) Mario that's awesome um so I just uh I just want to thank you so much for for taking time to to be on the show today and and we'll have to do this again Uh, it's just it's just a lot of fun to always fun to chat with you and catch up and I admire admire your work very much so um just a huge thank you (laughs) well no thank you so much for having me it's a perfect (laughs) thing to do in in my lunch break (laughs) 